It's early 1988 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Brian Sukenik, a native of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, is in town for a trade show, and he's walking across town from Union Plaza to the Vegas Hilton to meet with an old family friend. Sukenik is greeted at the Vegas Hotel by Joseph Okiki, who is weeks away from becoming Cambria County's president judge. Okiki is in Nevada, coincidentally, for a judicial conference. He tells Sukenik, a former county employee, that he'd like to do some catching up. Accompanying Okiki in the hotel room are his two young sons, his wife, and his mother-in-law. But Sukenik quickly learns that this isn't merely a social visit. Okiki ushers Sukenik to the far side of the suite and informs him that he'd like him back on the county payroll. The reason, according to Sukenik, is that Okiki is convinced that a countywide investigating grand jury is needed to probe the potential embezzlement of hundreds of thousands of dollars in Cambria's domestic relations office. Welcome back to Jailing the Judge. Let's go back to the beginning of this podcast, to the swearing-in, or coronation, of Okiki as Cambria County's president judge in June of 1988. In his remarks during the ceremony, Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice John A. Flaherty announces that the county court system is in a, quote, alarming condition. And up until this moment, that study has been kept confidential. I have been authorized, after I have performed the to present you with a copy of this study, investigation, and analysis for your review. As Mr. Justice Papadakis, the other members of the Supreme Court, and our Chief Justice, well realize that you are accepting a most significant task. Because of that, we want you to know that you will have the strong support and backing of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, our administrative office, and the Chief Justices and the Justices individually in the performance of your task. Justice Flaherty was referring to a study and analysis of the Cambria County court system done at the direction of a man named Dr. Donald Harris by several top court administrators from the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts. The report was handed to Okiki by Flaherty on the day of his swearing-in. Okiki responded with a speech of his own. We will give this report very careful attention. We'll follow its recommendations. We'll discuss its points fellow judges, we will bring about solutions the Supreme Court seeks. Sukenik said he made Okiki aware of potential financial irregularities in the domestic relations office during his first stint with the county. He originally worked there from 1980 to 1984. Okiki then rehired Sukenik in 88 
to examine duplicate payments to a group called Echo Consulting Company. This concern was relayed to Okiki earlier that year in an anonymous three-page memo, presumably from other county employees. And what year did you leave Cambria County first? That was 84. Um, and when, when Judge Abood fired me. Okay. <laughs> and, and why were you fired in 84? Like, what was the I was cooperating with the White Collar Crime Unit then uh, because they were having um, problems with the expense accounts. There were a lot of fudge documents, uh, people that traveled in the same car together were writing two separate uh, expense accounts. And they go, they get signed off on by Judge Abood, and then they'd go down to the commissioner's office, and they'd have checks faster than any other vendor around. And Ron Stevenson, I think, was the uh, president, commissioner, whatever they call him. When, when, when did you start? Were you contacted by uh, the White Collar Crime Division, or did you? Did I they contacted contact, them. You contacted them. Because yeah, the accountants that had come in weren't that bright. I was trying to give them hints to say, you know, oh, you got to see about our summer home in Puerto Rico because I think the payments come out from somebody's account here. And they just laughed it off. And they, I don't think they ever thought they didn't follow up with it. Yeah. So it was like it was getting the documentation, which was hard to do unless you're unless you're on the inside. You don't have access to it all. You know, it was just rumor at that time. But then later on when I came back as deputy court administrator, that's one of the first things I looked at was the expense accounts and the computer invoices. And that's where all the questions were being raised. Before escaping his own jail sentence with the flights of Slovenia in 1993, Okiki made references during television interviews to the financial irregularities discovered in the domestic relations office by he and Sukenik. It's very blatant in that you have the county paying $24,600 for a contract to do a study and no studies ever made. Uh, that's a clear blatant violation of law and why that has to be the other cheek? It appears that way, yes. The state police? Yes. We asked Lawrence Klaus, who prosecuted Okiki, whether he had any reason to believe that there were other corrupt members of the Cambria County Judiciary or government. No, I, I don't think uh, I could say that there was like a culture. It's just that... Uh, he was Joe O'Kiki, and Joe O'Kiki had to be uh, listened to, uh, no matter what it was that, uh, that he was espousing. He was the boss. Uh, one of the things that was astounding to me, uh, we had documentary evidence. We had, for example, the I believe it was Laurel Bank letter. Uh, when we subpoenaed through the grand jury uh, certain documents and found the uh, document with the Judge's letterhead uh, with the secretary's uh, initials, who ultimately said, you know, that was dictated to me by Joseph Okiki. And it basically covered all the elements of a classic bribery charge. We knew that he didn't worry about things because he reduced that to writing and sent it off to the uh, one of the uh, officials of the bank, uh, in essence, uh, saying, if you don't do what I want, don't bring your uh, estates and trust case into uh, my courtroom. Well, you just can't have that happen. Walt Komorowski, who investigated Okiki as a member of the Pennsylvania State Police White Collar Crime Unit, seemed more reluctant to rule out the possibility that Cambria County's problems ran a little deeper. One thing that we've been hearing from talking about multiple people is Okiki, yeah, like he was, he was dirty. 
the time, might have not been the dirtiest in the Cambridge County Courthouse. Do you have any thoughts on that? I saw no evidence of what you're talking about. There is, however, evidence that whistleblowing on the domestic relations office from Okiki and Sukenik reached both Klaus and Kramorowski. Letters from state police, the Commonwealth's Judicial Inquiry and Review Board, the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts, and the U.S. Department of Justice acknowledge receipt of these complaints. Sukenik said he eventually met with another state trooper on multiple occasions, but he refused to speak with Komorowski because of Komorowski's involvement with the Okiki investigation. They initially contacted me, and uh, they were coming out of the Indiana barracks. So uh, we met at Dean's Diner in Playersville. And Bob Ando was the officer in charge. And then the Stooges uh, showed up, Komorowski and Russell. And I flipped out. And I said, I don't need those two criminals anywhere near this. So you need to get them to go. And he went back outside and talked to them. And they got in their car and they took off. They weren't happy, but I don't really care. Uh, so we sat back down and he ended up following us back to my house uh, up in Geistown. And we sat there at the dining room table and started going over things. And he came back a couple different times. We started reviewing different documents. Then uh, he'd come back and tell me what people, people's reaction were. Uh, Judge Abood said, I'm an outright liar, and I probably forged all those documents. And I said, Bob, I said, if I'm that good, how did I forge all those documents from 500 miles away? And half the time I was more than 1,500 miles away. How did I do that? If I could, I wouldn't need you. And he looked at me because, you know, that's a good point. So you took it seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, Abood, was just uh, questioning my ancestry about every way, shape, and form he could curse me out with a state trooper. And so he took it, you know, in stride. And, okay, fine, that's your reaction. He said, what's yours? And I told him that. And he said, okay, well, let's move on to something else. And then we started another subject matter. And we spent another couple hours, probably... I think it was maybe six, seven hours total going over all the paperwork and the forms and the invoices. And you know, he was questioning me more as, why do you think that happened? Or why do you, what's wrong with this? Yeah. And because I guess, I guess he wasn't picking up on it or, I mean, some of the things they did were just, it was, it was showing a pattern of, hiding things like the federal 4d money to reimburse domestic relations for collecting child support there was a, a rule that any contract under twenty five thousand dollars had to be approved by the state most of the contracts approved under cambridge county were twenty four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars so they, they didn't have anybody from the state reviewing it so it was just too convenient. You know, it's like saying that building's on fire, 
but I didn't set it as I stood there with my gallon of gasoline and matches. While in exile in Europe, Okiki wrote a letter to U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno in August of 1993. The fugitive former judge told Reno that the state report on Cambria County's court system was done to his behest, and he rattled off a long list of allegations against officials and business leaders, both locally and across the Commonwealth. And Okiki told a Channel 8 news reporter that he was almost finished writing an entire book on the topic. Write a book. I have the first draft written. It deals with the legal system of Pennsylvania, and... Uh, in about two months, it should be completed, and after that, we'll see what we do after that. The fugitive judge also said that he thought he'd be murdered if he returned to America to serve his sentence. It's a death sentence for me to go to Western Penitentiary or any other state prison facility. Over the years, I've sentenced many people to lengthy terms for rape, for murder, uh, for other serious offenses. Uh, these people are still in, in prison. These people uh, have long memories, and... Uh, my chances of survival are between zero and nil. Did they ever offer to separate you? No. There's been no offer of any kind made. State Prosecutor Lawrence Klaus says provisions were being made to ensure Okiki's safety. However, Okiki says if the inmates didn't get him, something or someone else would. Okiki believes he knows too much about too many powerful people to be safe. Prosecutor Klaus counters Okiki hasn't been harmed yet by all of this so-called information on others. Uh, we don't have a prison system, it's a warehouse. I also look at uh, Cambridge County uh, businessman Frank Romani, who had no history of any heart problem whatsoever, and uh, three weeks after the book, uh, Baby Four Steps, is printed, in which he's uh, named in there as having given money to the former Attorney General Leroy Zimmerman, uh, Frank uh, Romani is found dead in a cell with a heart attack. Uh, that isn't a coincidence. Uh, that, in my humble judgment, is an indication of how uh, the system can silence those who want to expose the corruption. Okiki accused banks of colluding with crime bosses, judges of fixing cases for the politically connected, and Attorney General Ernest Priate of accepting campaign funds from illegal poker machine operators, a charge that would later apparently be proven. In exchange for his cooperation and potential future investigations, Okiki asked Reno to reinstate his pension. Before being sentenced in relation to his involvement with illegal gambling operators, Priya was questioned by Channel 8 News in the early 90s about what Okiki may know about other corruption in Pennsylvania. He says he was willing to offer information to a seventh grand jury. You stopped him. Oh, he's crazy. You know, this is a guy that's thumbed his nose at the law. He ought to know better. He ought to turn himself in and serve his time like a man. And certainly, I'm not, I've never prevented him from presenting any evidence whatsoever, uh, whether he wanted to present it before a grand jury or he wanted to present it before the court itself, and they heard his case, we had every opportunity to do it. If he didn't do it, that's his problem. Would the Attorney General's office be interested in any information he might have? I mean, if he was part of the corruption, don't you think he'd know a lot more? Well, I don't know what he knows. You can't talk to him if he's overseas. And I mean, the guy's been a loony to him for the last couple of years. According to a new sick, Okiki was planning to call his book, quote, The Fix, end quote. Well, he was telling people that he was going to write a book called The Fix. And he was gathering information, and he wrote a lot of letters. If I just, and he wrote so many things to his attorneys, if I just gathered that into a book, you know, edited it, that would be The Fix. Because he described to Janet Reno, he described to other people how things were fixed, cases were fixed in Cambria County. Through the DA's office, you know, you have the calendar, you can do what you want. So, um... And he told Kiesling, Joe told Kiesling, I don't know how, but they were communicating, that he was writing this book, The Fix. 
So, but um, I really never found a finished manuscript. I found, you know, bits and pieces of it. But the fugitive judge would never finish writing his book. He died in 1996. Uh, he had, his cancer came back. Um, he had surgery in 1992 in Pittsburgh. And he had, he had two um, main sites. He had colorectal and uh, he had colorectal cancer, two main sites. And they took out the cancer. They gave him chemo. They gave him radiation, all that. And he endured all that and other therapies. But when he was in Slovenia, um, the, the cancer came back. And he had it removed. But then after that, it was all downhill. I mean, he was just too weak. So he died, actually, in the cancer hospital there, right across the street from where, from where his parents were married. I often re remarked on that. So... Um, we, he was actually functioning until the very end when he couldn't drink or eat anymore. And he was in such pain, then I called the ambulance and they took him there just, just so they could give him some pain medication. But he died shortly thereafter. So he died, they called me from the uh, cancer hospital. because so I worked for the Ministry of Health, so they knew me. And uh, they said, your husband passed away. So I went over there right away and I saw him and everything. And then he was, that was the 2nd of December, then he was... Um, buried on the 6th of December. So that's where he is. He's in the cemetery um, in Ljubljana. There's a big main cemetery. It's called Jale, which means sorrow. And it was designed by Jozef Plechnik, who was a very famous architect, um, not only in Slovenia, but uh, also in, in Europe. And he's there in that cemetery. And um, my friends take care of it. And when I go over there, I go visit and he has a very nice um, stone. To some, such as current Cambria County President Judge Norman A. Krumenacher III, the end of the Okiki saga meant a new era for Cambria County. I think it brought home to the judges that were sitting here at that time uh, the need to rebuild the community's faith that when they come up these steps and into this building, that they're going to get a fair shake, that they should never, never have to worry about who's the attorney on the other side or who's the cop on the other side, you know, or whose politics is whose or who's lacing somebody's pocket, you know. I mean, when you come into a courthouse, you know, that's why the statute of liberty, liberty is designed the way she is. You know, there's certain aspects to her. I saw a debate one time uh, about uh, the statute of liberty, who, who generally now is fully clothed, but the original had one breast bare. And the whole theory from the sculptor when that, way back eons ago when that was developed was that a bare breast showed that there was no cover-up. That was the, uh, what I want to say, the artistic meaning and the blindfold, okay? The, the whole thing, the, 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 why are they blind? Well, justice is to be blind. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Mexican, American, you know, bald, short, tall, you know, uh, you're treated the same. And I think that was the biggest thing. It was so important. And for the Bar Association, too, you know, because there were a couple attorneys that got drug in th to that, that, that we quickly, uh, and of course, this uh, got it cleaned up.
and restored the faith uh, that people would be treated fairly when they came in here. Jonestown attorney Tim Burns agreed that the courthouse is currently in good hands. It may have ruffled some feathers bringing Judge O'Kiki back up, but um, I think as an attorney in Cambria County, practicing law here has never been better. And I, I think we should look back 30 years ago to see where we've come. I mean, you had a grand jury indict, prosecute, and he was eventually convicted our president judge. 30 years later, the, the Grand jury judges are Cambria County President Judge. Um, Cambria County is one of the is is a symbol of efficiency, um, ethics. Um, we've got a great group of judges, and more importantly, a great group of judicial staff, people that work that make our court system fair. I mean, I can say I'm there almost every day, and you're going to get a fair shake. I mean, those, you know, I just say, look where we've come. I mean, it's we're we're. A, symbol of um, fairness, uh, um, in my opinion, one of the top judiciaries in the state. I mean, and I practice in a lot of counties. Come a long way. Oh, it's come. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, anyone who thinks, oh, why are are you doing this? Look, just look where we're at. You know, you know, people should be shocked that, wow, that actually happened in Cambria County because you look at it now, um, justice flows. I mean, we're, 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 we're quicker than many counties, but at the same time, we're fair. Um, judges make tough decisions, um, but they follow the law. Um, there's no favoritism. Um, a lot of the things you know, I read about the Okiki era, I mean, that's ancient history. So, On the state level, retired prosecutor Lawrence Klaus said the case against Okiki resulted in a new precedent, something called the Okiki Rule. There's one other side note here uh, that, uh, that I always look at as, as a very positive thing, and I'm sure... Uh, then Judge O'Kiki probably wasn't happy about But one of the things that they had argued was the statute of limitations on some of these charges for which he was uh, convicted. And we do have what was now known as the O'Kiki rule, uh, interpreting statute of limitations, which means that even though there is a statute, for example, some of the charges for which he was convicted were second-degree misdemeanors, uh, three of them were uh, were third-degree felonies, which are pretty serious charges. But even the third-degree felonies only had a five-year statute of limitation. The second-degree misdemeanors only two, with the exception, as long as you hold public office, you get the Commonwealth gets a an extension of time. And in this case, you cannot exceed eight years for felonies or five years beyond the statutes. So the Okiki rule stands for the prosecution. If you have uh, misdemeanors, you can prosecute someone even though eight years has passed, as long as they either are still in office or have been in office within a uh, period of time like that. And for the felonies for which he was convicted, we got to go back a full 13 years. And that was upheld by both Supreme and uh, the Superior Court and still is the law today. So that's the, quote, O'Kiki rule. And what of the claims of the Domestic Relations Office? In 1991, an independent audit by Barnes Sally and Company would be released. This audit confirmed the claims of O'Kiki and Sukenik that the Domestic Relations Office was overpaying Echo Consulting Company without explanation. Klaus and the AG's office deferred the matter to the county. These findings were then handed to the District Attorney's Office in Cambria County. At the same time, Acting President Judge Karen Maboud 
who had been tasked with oversight of the domestic relations department during the period of these financial irregularities, abruptly resigned from the bench to again practice private law. The timing of Abood's resignation was not lost on Linda Hudkins of the Altoona Mirror newspaper. Hudkins asked Abood whether he was fleeing the probe. Abood's response was, quote, I'm leaving by the front door, not the back door, end quote. We reached out to Abood through his firm, Abood, Russell, Pappas, and Rosich in Johnstown. A message left with the secretary there seeking comment was not returned. According to both Sukenik and Anusik, a man named Jacob St. Clair was given ARD for his involvement in the Domestic Relations Office affair. We were unable to independently verify this. As for the 1988 analysis from the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts, the one that Justice Flaherty said painted Cambria County in a, quote, alarming light, it appears to have faded quietly into history. Krumenacher's executive assistant said that the Cambria County Court Administrator told her he had no idea where the report would be or whether it would have been retained after 30 years. In response to similar inquiries about the evaluation, Kimberly Bathgate of the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts wrote in October, quote, We have not been able to track down an electronic version of this report, end quote. To this day, both Sukenik and Sylvia Nusik, Okiki's widow, say they are convinced that allegations against Okiki were fabrications designed to discredit him as he rose to president judge and made plans to clean up corruption. Everybody kind of knew and were afraid that the judge was going to become in charge because they knew as president judge he could he could get things working. And that's the last thing they wanted to do with the spoil the little side arrangements they all had. And I mean, they as in attorneys and and uh, officers of the court and uh, other members of the commissioner's staff and things like that. Sukenik attempted to sue Cambria County for wrongful termination in 1991 with the help of attorney Neil Price. They were unsuccessful. As for Nusik, she said Okiki was betrayed and abandoned unfairly by friends when he needed them the most. I think people would be surprised to learn that he was um, pretty naive about people. He really trusted in people and the goodness of people, even to the very end. Others reject this sort of revisionist history. According to Komorowski, the judge was simply good at manipulating people. You've always worked in that angle. There's, what's in it for me? But as for the illegal gambling suspicions, the original basis for the Okiki investigation, Komorowski said he isn't sure that there was ever a conviction. You know what? I don't know what the answer to that is. I really don't because I wasn't involved with Troop A Vice. Okay. My, my uh, uh, roots are in uh, criminal investigation. Now, we worked vice operations out of BCI West, but we're, we were more in the Allegheny County, Butler, uh, Beaver, Fayette County. We weren't into Westmoreland like... But uh, I'm going to have to ask, we've got an FOP picnic coming up now. Uh, Mike Dice was uh, on the detail at the time. I'm going to have to ask him. 30 years from his conviction, the Joseph Okiki story is many things to many people. It's a tale of triumph for the son of poor immigrants, a tragedy of greed and the lives destroyed in its wake, and a series of question marks that continue to cast a shadow in Cambria County to this very day. Was the judge a plague of corruption on the Cambria County Courthouse? Was he victim of those who plotted to ruin him before he could expose the wrongdoing of others in high places? Or was he maybe a little bit of both? This has been Jailing the Judge. Jailing the Judge is hosted and written by me, Bruce Seeley. Reporting conducted by me and Eric Kita. Produced by Kita and Michelle Ganassi. The show is scored by Billy O'Shea with the theme music, The Party After the Show, provided by the crew of The Half Moon. Graphic design by Rick Kasmer. Special thanks to Brian Whipke and the team at Gannett. 
This podcast is a product of our town of the Daily American. For online extras, visit dailyamerican.com. Hey everyone, thanks for checking us out. If you would, please take a minute and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. It will help other people find the show. We appreciate it.